0: Welcome to today's episode of the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. Today, we are going to be diving into the wild and wacky prophecies of Ezekiel in the Old Testament and the poetic, uh, beautiful brilliance of John in 1 John. So grab a Bible, pull up a chair. We're talking Antichrist. We're talking light of the world. We're talking lying down for 390 days on your left side to make a point. You are not going to want to miss this. Let's go. Hello, Bible scholars, one and all. Uh, welcome. You've come to the right place. We are reading through the whole Holy Bible together as a church family, and it's been quite the journey. Uh, we, we have gained so much from this, strengthened our faith, uh, discovered all the more who God is, who we are, what life is supposed to be about, and it doesn't stop today. In fact, we're, we're getting into some really good stuff. Co-host Emily Lang Paul, welcome.
1: Thank you. But How are you?
0: I'm good. And you? I'm good. We had fun Ready. chatting before we got started mm-hmm. here. Yes, and and uh, I think that'll continue through the next uh, 50 minutes or so as we dive into these texts. We have <laughs> yes. a distinguished panel
1: of yes. pastors. <laughs> Pastor Amanda Nipple. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Glad to be here. Welcome Glad back, Amanda. Yeah. This is
0: like your 27th time or something on, <laughs> on the podcast. You are a fan favorite. <laughs>
1: yes. Well, yeah. it, it's a good sign. Happy to be here. Mm. Also, Pastor, listen to Chris that. Yes. Say it again, yes. Pastor Chris Kingston. Thanks so much. Newly ordained. Yeah. Congratulations.
0: Yes. Freshly minted. That's right. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, right around what was it? Probably two forty-four p.m. Is when it finally touched the moment <laughs> and, the, and the smoke lifted up and the, and That's the right. heavens opened and and you were ordained. And Yay. it's been quite a journey. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we're blessed yeah. to have you on the on the ordained pastor staff now. Glad so. to be here. Yeah, glad you're here.
1: Yeah, that's um, there, good.
0: There's there's so many things to celebrate from this last weekend. So yeah. many so many great things happening uh, in God's church, and at the at the very front of that is just what again what we're learning as we dive into God's word. People are hungry for this. I mean, we had we literally had high school kids come off of the off of Jordan <laughs> Creek Parkway and pull in to ask questions about God because they didn't believe and they mm. they wanted to know. Right in the middle of an Alpha course, we yeah. had. A firefighter pull up in a fire truck and get dropped off so he could see his kids singing during worship on mm-hmm. Sunday. Brought the whole fire station with him. That, <laughs> that was just awesome. We, we, um, we're just, it's just good to get front row seats to see what God is doing around here, yeah. and really good to be in his Word. So, Emily, what do you think? You ready? I think so. Without further ado, let's dive into some good questions that we've been receiving from all of you that we synthesized. Why
2: don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Sure.
1: Yeah, no, I should have saw that coming.
0: And there they are.
1: Yes. Okay. The book of Ezekiel. Who is Ezekiel? What's happening in the world when he gets a vision from God to prophesy to Israel? And what's in this book of the Bible for us today? Because it's kind of wild. It is wild. <laughs> uh, I, that was my own answer. Yeah. <laughs> that was not in the question Commentary. that was submitted. That was, yeah. Okay.
3: Gotcha. No, it's definitely wild. And it's funny, Mike, you said, pull up a chair. And I'm like, you're definitely going to want to sit down for part of Ezekiel. <laughs> it,
0: it put on the harness and
2: strap <laughs> yeah. it tight, right?
3: Yeah. Well, and it's funny because sometimes when you talk about these, these prophets, it's like, oh, these kind of zany guys, especially when you get to some of the stuff that Ezekiel did. But Zeke comes from the law, from a, the tradition of being a priest. It's not just some random guy. This is somebody who comes from a long line of holy people ministering in God's family. And it's funny when we talk about, you know, a lot of the, this is happening at the same time as other prophets, you know, some kings mentioned in the book of Jeremiah as well. And this is it's happening all around the same time. Uh, Zeke has some Im- imagery like, uh, you know, seeing God as a wheel and see mm-hmm. in in this this kind of otherworldly stuff of animal faces and all these things, but I think one of the things to take away from this is that it's it's very symbolic in a lot of ways ezekiel 's just doing the best he can yeah. to see some of these things, but you know you also get some symbolic things that we shouldn 't shy away from where people are used to seeing God as uh as being, uh, you know, sequestered to the temple. Mm -hmm. And instead, Zeke is seeing God out in the midst of the world as a multifaceted wheel. You know, God is mobile. God Mm -hmm. is active. God is doing things. And for us, you know, you ask the question, Emily, what's in it for us today? You know, where is our image of God? Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, in, in how we're imagining God, we're all handed a certain perspective, a certain tradition. How is our imagery of God and the way that we imagine God um, putting God in a box just like
0: it was back then? And it's an important thing for all of us to consider.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Can't,
0: I can't help but think of my Sunday school song that I learned when I was a little <laughs> kid growing up. Ezekiel <laughs> saw the wheel way up. Anybody? Anybody no. else? Know this? I, He's no. in the middle <laughs> of the air, Ezekiel. I,
2: I Googled it when you sent the question out, Ezekiel <laughs> saw the wheel. And I'm like something, I'm like, this is vaguely familiar. So like I gave it a Google. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. There's got to be somebody out there in
0: podcast land
2: <laughs> listening to this and it's like, you got the tune singing. in their head and they can't get it out. <laughs> Mike, if you
3: just sing it for a few more minutes, maybe then it'll be more familiar. But I'll,
0: I'll, you know, mm-hmm. more seriously, that song, it's fun to see the things that you learned along mm-hmm. the way, mm-hmm. even as a little kid, mm-hmm. it shows why children's ministry is so important mm-hmm. around here. Of what did course. that do? It it put into the hard drive, into the long-term memory of my mind The opening chapter of Ezekiel. And so I always knew Ezekiel saw a wheel, even if at age seven, I didn't quite know Mm -hmm. what that was all about. It was a prophecy in the midst of an exile by the Babylonians and Ezekiel sitting on a riverbank in modern day, what is modern day Iraq. And he's not at home in Jerusalem where he wants to be. And he even gives dates, you know, like you alluded to, Pastor Chris, that it was coming up on his 30th birthday, and it's his fifth year in exile. And so he really gives us a sense for, he has not been here for a little while. Mm -hmm. He's been here for a long while. Mm -hmm. He's been here for five years. He was in the first group that was exiled from Jerusalem, most likely, historically. And he's feeling lost, and so is everybody else around him. But he's a faithful guy. And so God gives him this word, and... You know, Ezekiel's prophecies throughout the rest of this book, Bible readers, as you read through it, is he's saying to God's people, learn from your, fail- your failures, your unfaithfulness. The, the quote uh, right away in, in Ezekiel 1 is, I'm here to accuse Israel of breaking the covenant. That's what God is saying to Ezekiel. And so all these visions grand and glorious and big as they are and, and wild mm-hmm. truly Emily you're right as wild as they are mm-hmm. wheels going in different directions uh beings that are practically angelic with wings that are hitting each other for some reason and then a platform that's that's uh you know made of this real precious kind of material and on top of that a throne with somebody sitting there and that represents the presence of this savior, this messiah, this mm-hmm. mysterious figure, and so it's it's not all clean, but it's it's powerful. And Ezekiel's name means God is strong. So while he's also warning people, that's kind of the main thrust of this prophecy: is the reason we're in exiles, we messed up, we fell into mm-hmm. sin, uh, and he's also going to pronounce judgment on Judah's neighbors from God. And you know, you're next. Don't think that that you're not in trouble too. But the third thing he prophesies about is this strong, um, you know, chorus of hope that just keeps pushing through. We have a God who will not forget us. We have a God who will stay with us, which is really profoundly important for us still today.
2: Yeah, that's how the... His prophecies at the end of the book, that's how they end. They're the hope prophecies. They're the dry bones coming back to life. Mm. It's the uh, allusion to the Garden of Eden uh, when you get to, to to the end of what Ezekiel's prophesying about. It's all hope. At the end of his book, which is a change up from Lamentations, uh, where we were, you know, last week, right? It is, it, it points us to the future that God has created, not just for the Israelites, but that God is calling all of us into. It's it's for all of us, this wanting to take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, right? Like this is mm-hmm. not, this This is for all people, for for all time. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's beautiful in the way that it closes and ends there. Yeah.
0: Such a good point. We, we you know, what's in this for us is the last part of that question mm-hmm. what, for modern day readers. And we've kind of already talked mm-hmm. about that. But here we are living in a world where I've heard more people talk about the potential for World War III mm-hmm. in the last yeah. few weeks than maybe the the last 20 years before that. Mm-hmm. that it, it, not that it hasn't always been there on some level, but it just feels like everything is sort of spiraling down in some ways. And people are feeling like they're losing their sense of of security, uh, like this world doesn't feel as as um, as strong as it used to in terms of having a solid foundation to stand upon, well, that's exactly what's going on back here. And it's not fun to be in the in the midst of exile, it's not fun to be in, in the midst of times where you think that, the, that we're losing hope, but Ezekiel's name literally means God is strong. It's not over is ultimately the point that comes through here. Ezekiel does two things. This book, one is it tells the truth about, hey, you're, you're in a mess because of you, mm-hmm. <laughs> not because of God, mm-hmm. but because God doesn't bless sin. And when you wander away from God and insist on doing it your own way, you get the consequences of that sin. And God's not going to protect you from the consequences of things he mm-hmm. told you not to do. So it's very honest and real about that. And that's the majority of it. But there's, again, the strong chorus that says, God will overcome Babylon. Babylon's big. <clears throat> it might feel like you'll never get out of exile. It might feel like you're stuck in this place in your life forever. This is for us too. You're not. Mm-hmm. God is with you. He knows. And he's calling us back to faithfulness.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, and I think, too, that it, one of the things that you might be seeing the, the current state of things today and World War III, and, like you're saying, and then you see these kind of... Uh, somewhat harder to access i'm not going to call it inaccessible but these these images of god that also are kind of hard to understand sometimes and that might also feel like chaos yeah. but when you think about people in exile how powerful is the image of a god that when things feel out of control, God shows up in unexpected ways. Absolutely. You know, you have these people in who, who really need a God to do new things. We're, we're, we're creeping towards the New Testament where people have been, tra- uh, you know, trained that God is supposed to behave in certain ways. And I think that the application for us is, listen, God's not done.
1: Yeah, God's not sure. done showing up yeah. in new ways. How can Bible readers make any sense out of all the over-the-top actions that Ezekiel carries out?
2: Yeah, because Ezekiel uh, doesn't just have these crazy dreams. He behaves like kind of a maniac, honestly. Um, <laughs> it's
1: showtime. <laughs>
2: yeah. right? It. right? And that <clears throat> is one thing that's important for us to understand. Uh, you know, the kind of street theater that Ezekiel demonstrates in chapters four, five, and six is very common for that time period. It's... <clears throat> The things he did, we're going to get to that in just a second, weren't common, uh, but that kind of way of, uh, of getting people's attention was a common way to do that during Ezekiel's day and, and during his time. The thing with his, the things that he does to get people's attention, um, there was, <laughs> I'm not super proud of what I'm about to confess, but I'm I have excited. been known, right, mm-hmm. okay. I have so. been known to say to my children that if asking nicely worked, I wouldn't have to yell, Mm. Okay, wow, mm-hmm. that's
1: good. Mm-hmm. That's good mom. <laughs> that's a good okay. mom line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good,
2: now, mom, mom. there's all sorts of parenting theories about how when you're yelling, you are always wrong. Whatever is totally fine. I am a very imperfect parent. First person to say so. So, mm-hmm. if asking nicely worked, kids, I wouldn't have to yell. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that very much relates to what Ezekiel is doing. If, Israel, you had listened, like, literally to any one of the hundreds of prophets Mm -hmm. and the hundreds of years that came before, if you had just listened when they asked nicely, then Ezekiel wouldn't find himself laying on his side eating barley cakes cooked over poo. Mm. And how those things make sense, I have absolutely no idea. And yet, here we are, right? Like that was one of the things that God, God specifically, told Ezekiel to do—to lay on your side a day representing a year that uh, that the Israelites and the uh, uh, the Israelites and the po- folks living in Jerusalem have been unfaithful. And and that's what he told. And then he told him specifically how to make his food during that time. This was all about just living on the bare sustenance of what was left over like the poo uh to be able to get by how (laughs) could he was able to drink like it's barely a half a cup of water a day while he's doing this you know like all of this uh had meaning for folks like this is what it's going to be like for you mm, mm-hmm. and it's not that um you know other prophets were called to do ridiculous things as well like ezekiel wasn't the only no. the only one by any stretch of the imagination you know there's uh hosea married a prostitute and all of his children yeah. were given these ridiculous names like that they you know had to go jeremiah had to hide his underwear and yeah. some rocks by the yeah. river like and all of and these people, things, and
0: people think the Bible's boring,
2: right? right exactly, yeah. and so, so what Ezekiel was called to do was certainly not without precedent, but it was intentionally designed to get the people's attention because remember, they've half of them, and that's a that's not exactly right, but. A number of them have been carried off into exile already. And a number of them are back home in Jerusalem waiting to see what's gonna happen next. And so this is really this is really a pivotal point in their story. Are they gonna figure it out or mm-hmm. are they going to continue to do what they wanna do? Now we know they continue to do what they wanna do. And one of Ezekiel's whole points and everything that he says is again and again and again, when God tells him to prophesy, he says, Now you will know that I am the Lord, Mm -hmm. Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And so that is a primary point to what Ezekiel's doing. So if his actions seem, the things that he's called to do in his theater seem particularly over the top because ASCII nicely hasn't worked. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is all in Ezekiel 4 and 5. Yeah. Uh, like you said, he has to cook uh, food and bread over a fire. At least he talks God out of the the human uh-huh. dung and, and, and translates it to cow dung, <laughs> uh, which I think is kind of fascinating. Yeah. But he also has to draw a map of Jerusalem, yes. smash mm-hmm. it with an iron griddle, mm-hmm. Um, he, he, God calls him to, um, also shave off his hair, yep. chop it up, burn a third of it over here, a third of it and, mm-hmm. to symbolize, you know, this is the, this is the outcome for people who wander away from God is you, you get burned up in your sin. You, you get lost in it. It, it. There isn't a good future, not only for mm-hmm. the people who are in exile that you mentioned, Pastor Amanda, but the people who are still back in Jerusalem, spoiler alert, what's next for you isn't good because right. like you said, in Ezekiel three, seven says this. The Even worse than having to do all this, to lie on his side for 390 days with ropes that God gave mm-hmm. him mm-hmm. and then flip over for 40 on the other side to make a point. I mean, it's street theater. It's bizarre and it's kind of fun and it's kind of interesting and very colorful, mm-hmm. but even worse maybe than Ezekiel having to do that. Although let's give it to Ezekiel for being so faithful. Sure is that the people didn't listen. <laughs> right. Ezekiel 3, 7, the people of Israel will not listen to you anymore, God says to Ezekiel. They're not going to listen to you any more than they listen to me. And so he goes the extra mile and then some mm-hmm. to act out all of these <laughs> symbolic things that God's going to do. And still people are like, huh, yawn, meh, as the cool kids say today, you mm-hmm. know, uh, there's nothing in this for us. Everything's in this for us. And God's Word is still going out into our world, into the darkness. God's not afraid of the darkness. He brings His Word into those dark places because He wants people to repent and turn around.
2: Yep,
1: that's good. Okay, switching gears. Who wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John? Was it the same person who wrote the Gospel of John in the book of Revelation or somebody else?
0: Well, that's the traditional view, and there are some scholars who, who believe that. And there's, there's not the, the worst case to make for that. It's just that a lot of modern-day biblical scholars, yeah, I would even say most would say these are probably different people. So they're probably different people named John. uh, That there is a John who is responsible for the gospel of John and or what's called the Johannine community, or some people refer to it as the the, uh, community of the beloved disciple, Mm -hmm. which often Mm -hmm. most Bible scholars, and I would agree, say that the beloved disciple that's noted in the gospel of John refers to John. It's just his... Is uh, not so humble way of saying he was the disciple Jesus loved the most, Uh uh, but didn't want to name himself because he's so humble. And so that's the gospel of John, John. And then there's first, second, and third John that we're in now, which are not the same. And clearly first, second, and third John are written later than the gospel of John. And so if this is the apostle John, who was one of of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose, and the one who's responsible for writing the gospel of john or at least his community is then it's either that same community a little later a decade or two later perhaps writing these epistles for second and third john or it's john himself or it's somebody called john the elder this first epistle first john reads actually more like a poetic sermon than an epistle, like a letter. Epistle Mm -hmm. means letter. Second and third John are a little bit more like a classic letter, like the ones we've read leading up to this in the New Testament, like Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians. Mm -hmm. Well, now it's saying, here comes this epistle from John the Elder, this letter from John the Elder, and I'm writing it to this community. So the reality is we don't know for sure, but it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because it's God's word. And so we put our faith in it and our trust in it because it's scripture. And whether there are two different Johns, maybe even three different Johns, because in a few weeks we'll be talking about the book of Revelation, which is also written by a guy named John. And some say it's John of Patmos. That's a different John than John the Apostle or John the Elder. So there might have been three different Johns who are responsible for these books in the Bible. There might just be one. The case for it just being one is interesting to me because there are these common themes that keep coming up uh, throughout light, Mm -hmm. love, life, truth, the Word of God, the importance of believing, and how f- the, the Johannine epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, like 1st John we're looking at today, really emphasize simple images to make deeply profound points. And I think that's that's worth keeping in mind as we go. So there's a huge part of me that thinks this is probably the same dude. You know, mm-hmm. Gospel of John, the, the three epistles we have later in the New Testament. I don't know that that's the same person who did the book of Revelation but again, it doesn't matter when it's all said and done. Regardless when it's all said and done, regardless of the human author, this author named John is is an older, elder, brilliant man reflecting on what matters, and it is the inspired word of God. That's the part I want to emphasize the most. This is God's Absolutely.
1: word. Do you have yeah. questions like that that you want to find out in heaven? Yes. How Absolutely. many really was it <laughs> like, Oh wow!
0: There were seven Johns yes. who knew at right? the same time, uh, but. His beloved community is really important, too, is that they were they were they were grooving on a lot of levels. And we'll talk about that as we go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. What's with the repeated point in the opening verses of First John that, <clears throat> quote, we saw him with our own eyes. We have seen him and we ourselves have actually seen and heard.
2: Absolutely. You know, as we've gone through and read the the letters in the New Testament here recently, one thing you find pretty quickly is that the author of that letter is is trying to address something specific. And frequently we have seen that what they're trying to address is something that someone else has come in and taught that is just not quite in alignment uh, with who Jesus was, what Jesus came to do, and, and, and all those different types of things. So a lot of times in our letters, we'll find that someone is trying to answer a question or redirect folks back to where they're... Supposed to be. And we kind of have the feeling that here in these opening verses of John, because he says this so much, just here in these first Mm -hmm. few verses, there's something he's trying to accomplish here. And We have a sense that probably at that time there was a beginning of a controversy coming underway Mm -hmm. that after Jesus had risen from the dead, he did not appear in a physical body, Mm -hmm. that he appeared as some sort of a really high quality ghost or something, Mm -hmm. uh, but he wasn't actually, Mm -hmm. uh, he did not appear in a physical body like all of us have physical bodies. Mm -hmm. And so John here is saying... You know, repeatedly. No, we saw him. We saw him, we talked to him, we touched him, we had this whole experience with him. And it's not just me. And it wasn't just this other guy over there. It wasn't just your cousin's sister's girlfriend or whatever. This was we all saw him. And those first hand acknowledgements of no, I saw him. If I say to you guys, I saw this thing go down, it's different than if I say you know, well, my my husband has somebody who works for him, and then they live across the street from somebody who saw this thing go down. Mm -hmm. And so uh, John is just really trying to emphasize, no, this controversy that you're stirring up, Jesus appeared in the flesh. He absolutely appeared in the flesh. We... Saw him. You can count Mm on this this testimony that we're giving.
0: Good.
3: Well, and we see it a lot too in not just the discourse in in the letters, but just in the way that uh, the gospels end up getting written. We have really poetic language a lot of the time to try to describe, when we're talking about Ezekiel's uh, attempts Mm -hmm. to describe the ineffable, right? So we can describe God as this, you know, ground of being and God as the Word and Jesus as the Word and the Holy Spirit's Mm -hmm. descending like a dove. Really poetic language. And I just love in this, You know, some of these stories and these narratives, even if those gospels hadn't been written yet, they've been told a lot of these things in the oral tradition. And I just love that this letter writer is like, no, no, no. We're not, we're not being poetic here. It's not poetic; <laughs> it's testimony, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and testimony uh, is received differently. Like you're saying, Amanda, the testimony is received different than poetic yeah. uh, uh, discourse about God. Both are really important and true, yeah. but testimony really hits people in a different way. Mm-hmm. It does. And this
0: this this book of the Bible hits us strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys both described this heresy, right? The mm-hmm. the this the people who didn't think Jesus, as you said, Amanda, was. Was really a human being, or just spirit, or whatever? We've talked about this on this podcast before because the Scripture lifts that up contextually in several places without ever naming it. It's the it's the it's the heresy that led to Gnosticism. It's the yeah. it's the it is what it's called. If anybody wants to Google it and learn more about it, and mm-hmm. it still continues on to this day in certain kinds of ways. It's of it's it. There are plenty of heresies. Heresy is mm-hmm. simply just things that people believe or teach or say about God that aren't true. Um, that, that counter the truth. And that's, I love that John opens with yep. rapid fire, repeated, yep. bam, like, you know, bam, bam, bam. We saw him, we saw him, yep. we saw him, as you guys okay. are saying. So, those of you who say he isn't real, I'm telling you, we saw him. <laughs> and especially if it's this apostle John, yes. who yeah. was there, and now in his elder years, he's saying, you know, look, I was there. I was the mm-hmm. dude at the empty tomb that day. I, I was there to to see the heavens open when he was baptized, as Peter pointed out before. Yeah. Don't give me this nonsense. He isn't real.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What does first John chapter one, verse eight, through chapter two, verse two teach us about the nature of sin, confession, and forgiveness?
3: So, you know, this letter says, if we claim no sin, we're kind of fooling ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the there's a popular term of like Self love, self care, right? Like we, uh, a lot of a lot of times, what that ends up being is, hey, let's let's give ourselves a break. Let's let's try to uh, sit back and just try to make uh, not not be so hard on everything, especially when the world is in a really tough place. And sometimes those are really important things to do. But what what it's highlighting here is not to be overly harsh, but to say, hey, if. If you're pretending that there's nothing wrong with you, it's not that you're being unduly harsh on yourself or you're being judgmental. It's just recognizing the the very simple truth that you're not a perfect person. And that's not a controversial statement to say, mm-hmm. hey, you know mm-hmm. what, there's some things that you need to work on. And that's what God is calling us to do is to recognize our own imperfection. And okay. indeed, like, uh, you're not able to do anything about yourself <laughs> until... You acknowledge the plight that you're really in, which is just that there are certain inherent flaws, and that's what comes with being a person. Christianity
0: yeah. is so honest. Yes. It, it, the, the thing about it is, we don't have to fake it, we don't have to pretend. So we can say, we, not just they, yeah. we have a sin problem.
2: Yes. Absolutely. And
0: that sin was a problem back in John's day in the Johannine community, and it's still a problem now. And it's not just a moral problem, although I don't want to minimize that in any way. The moral issue of sin is huge because of the consequences of it. Because if I sin against you guys or you sin against me or we sin against others, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt relationships. It's going to hurt God's intention for what he wills for us in those relationships. It's going to hurt our faith, our relationship with God. So, it is a moral problem that's huge, but it's also a theological problem here that John's getting at, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important. He's saying, this is a challenge for those of you who think you don't sin anymore. If we say we have no sin... The truth is not in us. We are deceiving ourselves. This is the old Lutheran liturgy, too, from the Mm -hmm. the brief order Mm -hmm. of confession right out of the Mm -hmm. hymnal. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's not just out of a hymnal. That's right here. First John chapter one, verses eight and nine. That's where the liturgy comes from. So there's always a foundation and a basis to good liturgy. And it's a repeated theme in our worship for good reason, because it's so easy to get to the point and so tempting. Maybe easy is the wrong word. So tempting... For religious people to think, oh, I used to be a sinner. Hmm. I, used to, I used to do bad things. I used to hmm. think bad things. I used to say bad things. That never happens anymore. But the testimony of Scripture, not just here in 1 John, it's, it's certainly summarized beautifully in these verses, verse 8 and 9 of 1 John 1, in a way like none other, I mm-hmm. would say. But throughout, Paul says, all of us fall short, yes. Romans 3, 23. Yes. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Uh, you know, Paul in Romans 7 says, I'm a sinner, even as I'm saved, I, I'm still a sinner. The good stuff I want to do, I don't do. So, enough of, you know, I talked about the nonsense that Jesus isn't real. Enough of this nonsense, John, is saying that you're not a sinner, which is fascinating because the rest of the epistle, he's going to hit hard on, stop sinning, Yeah, <laughs> right. yes. which is mm-hmm. the other side of the ditch, which is to say, people who think sin's no big deal, they're like, well, Since I'm not perfect and I'm a big sinner, God doesn't care. Mm. God doesn't care if I... I don't need to change. I shouldn't even try. I should just continue to be the same person who's hurting other people and hurting myself and and hurting uh, community and and faith. I should just continue in my sinful ways because, well, you know, God knows I'm not perfect, so it's all good. John's saying it's not all good. You were made for more than this, actually, and you have the power Mm-hmm. to change the, uh, the power of God's presence and his spirit in you and, and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. John's getting to all that in a way that's just genius because you barely notice he's doing it mm-hmm. until you mm-hmm. step back and look at the whole of 1 John. And you go, oh, he's yeah. really pressing here to yeah. say, you can't say you don't sin. We all, we all do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can't say, well, since we all sin, whatever, mm-hmm. we'll just mm-hmm. keep rolling with it. He's saying mm-hmm. both of those are completely messed up. There's a better way. Let me show you.
2: Yeah, When God tells Ezekiel, I'm going to give them a new heart. Like this is literally exactly what God is talking about, right? Like their hearts of stone that are turned against me, that are turned inward towards themselves, that only want to do what seems right in their eyes. God's like, it's not just going to be enough. They're going to need a whole new one. They're going, you're going to receive a whole new heart, a heart of a heart that's soft, a heart that desires to do the things and be the people that God has created us to be. And it's, all same is what John's talking about. It's really yeah. cool. That's good.
1: How can we faithfully interpret 1 John 2.18, claiming Antichrist is coming, many such Antichrists have appeared, and th- the last hour has come?
0: How can we in- faithfully interpret this? Very carefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it gets so misinterpreted so often. Uh, Antichrist appears four times in the Bible, three times here in 1 John, one more time in 2 John, and folks, that's it. The word Antichrist, the in, in the Greek and in any accurate English translation or any other translation never appears anywhere in the Bible except in first and second John. And there are only four times. That's worth noting because there's an assumption that's out there, and it is a lot of the teaching, especially the sensationalized teaching on the end times that's out there. And we'll get into that deeper when we dive into Revelation here in a few weeks. But there's a lot of teaching out there that assumes and and implies and Sometimes directly, not, not in just a very complicit way, says, "Well, you know, the Antichrist in revelation, right. there isn't right. one. There's mm-hmm. a beast. The, the 666 beast is, is something other than the Antichrist. We're not talking about the same thing. Well, what are we talking about? John defines that for us very clearly. First John chapter two verse 21: 22. "Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist." And I say Antichrist, not the Antichrist, which is another misnomer, because that's not the way it's written in the Greek. There is no the or a or before the Antichrist. It is Antichrist. That's that's the term or the name given for anyone who stands against Christ, mm-hmm. who who's denies that the Father and the Son is Antichrist. Let's let the Bible define these terms for us mm, right. instead of wayward preachers mm-hmm. and teachers who might have a motivation to say, I can sell a lot more books <laughs> and get a lot higher ratings mm-hmm. if I scare the snots out of you by telling <laughs> you the Antichrist is coming and, oh, all the all the folks that people have said is the Antichrist over the years, any president mm-hmm. over my lifetime, uh, any foreign leader, uh, Barney the Purple Dinosaur, I actually heard <laughs> Once is the Antichrist, <laughs> yep. or um, you know, Regis Philbin for some reason was supposed to be the Antichrist, or or Michael Jackson, or who knows. Mm-hmm. All these mm-hmm. things get thrown out there. And then it and it and if you don't know what scripture actually says, let me read it again. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. And then four verses before that, it's plural. It's not just one. And it says the Antichrist, not the, it says, Antichrist is coming, and Antichrists have come. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like Something. Oh, that's going to be a sign of the end. It's already happening. And John is saying not just, you know, someday 20 centuries from now. It's already happening now and it's already happened. Ezekiel would probably agree with them back in Ezekiel's day. And I, well, Christ isn't there yet, but people are (laughs) Mm -hmm. anti-God. And so if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God, Ezekiel says in chapter four, verse three, Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and is indeed already here. So, yes, Antichrist will continue to come, and you should avoid them. People who stand against God, stand against truth. But Antichrist have already been here and always have been here. It's just John's way of using really colorful language Mm -hmm. to say... There's a lot of false teachers out there. Beware of them. And that's the irony because today it's the false teachers who are saying
3: the Antichrist <laughs> is something that yeah. is not
0: Antichrist in Scripture.
2: Right. Yeah. But,
3: and I think, too, the, it, kind of what you're advocating for is don't allow some of these extra narratives to color how you read the Bible. Read Scripture for what it says and allow that to... if. If all of a sudden you're watching something through the lens because you watched some movie right. about the yeah. Antichrist, right. you know, we can do a little bit better than that in our, in our scriptural interpretation of things. And when it talks about the last hour, a lot of people at that time, because of their proximity to when Jesus came originally, thought it was the last time. Mm-hmm. Paul Paul was... And in his human assumption that that Christ would come back soon, and lived as if that were the case. And we've talked on the podcast before about how that's valuable, but uh, nobody will know the time or day. Mm-hmm. So right. if you're spending time trying to decode current events mm-hmm. to predict the end of the world,
0: that's that's not here. Right. Yeah, you mentioned that. We'll dive into that a whole lot more in a sure. few weeks. Yeah. But if we're if we're using our time, we're just as stewards. Time right. is a is not an infinite like gift this side of heaven. We have a finite amount of time Mm -hmm. every day and how we use that and what we focus on with that time matters. Uh, Are we going to waste our time just scrolling mindlessly through social media? I mean, social media is great in moderation, but if it just becomes an addiction yeah. that' we're, that becomes the thing that we start with end with and do all day long every day as a substitute for human community, mm-hmm. ah, that's probably not best for us right. if we use our time to focus on things Jesus says you'll never figure out <clears throat> that's not probably the best stewardship of our time uh and just putting a couple of questions together here uh, to wrap this part of this part up for now is. John is pushing against false versions of Christianity, yes. Yes. those heresies mm-hmm. yes. that you guys brought up uh, on the last question. And so he, what he's saying is antichrists are people who are leading you astray on this stuff, who are telling you Jesus isn't real or isn't really human, mm-hmm. that he's just spirit or, or that you can wander away from the truth of God. It's so important for us to be fluent in Scripture. To read it, to learn it, and to live it, which is <laughs> our should sound familiar <laughs> yeah. by now to, to regular listeners of this um. podcast that 's our theme this year. We want you to live it out, but the only way we can do that faithfully is if we learn what it actually says. Mm-hmm. And what it says is really good. It is really good. Will there be things that happen before Jesus returns? Yeah. Have they already happened? Maybe some. I don't know. All. Who knows? Will he come back before the end of this podcast? Perhaps. (laughs) But that's a good way to live. Absolutely. Now we're ready to roll. We don't have to say, well, 72 things have to happen before he's coming back. Says who? Scripture says something different, which is you better be ready now.
1: Yeah. Mm Why does First John repeatedly emphasize love, our love for one another, and God's love for us as a major theme?
2: Uh, well, because... <laughs> it is a major, it's the answer to everything, really, that We've just been talking about, right? Yeah. But uh before yeah. I answer the question, you were talking earlier, Mike, about how uh, when you were a kiddo in Sunday school, you learned Ezekiel saw the wheel, yeah. right? When I was a kiddo, the song that I learned in Sunday school was First John four seven and eight, beloved, yeah. let us love one another. It's a Bible right? camp and I, song. Yeah, right? I can, I can hear it now. Clap along, right? everyone. <laughs> a lot of songs uh, today Emily's going to yeah. sing
0: it for us now. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to get the crew. Come on, guys, come, come <laughs> on, let's sing the beloved, let us love. <laughs> one another that one right exactly okay for love of God yeah. and everyone who loves People anyway so yeah right off
2: this. <laughs> I know sorry uh, come back we'll stop now um so to your point, those songs that we learn, what we do in children's ministry, those things matter because they stay mm-hmm. with oh, you, yeah. right? Yeah. And so whenever, First John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And that's an old, that's not the NLT, you know what I mean? But right. uh, and, sure. but but it gets to the point, right? John uh, says in chapter 2, verse 7, he starts out, this is so funny, he says, um, I'm not, my dear children, I'm writing you this. I am not giving you a new commandment. This is an old one. Mm. Love one another. And what John understands is that love is the power in everything that God does. And it's the reality that when Jesus says, here's your job love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love God with everything you've got, and love your neighbor as yourself. John says in his gospel, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm telling you what you've been told before. But then it's really cool because he goes on in verse eight and he says, yeah, I guess it is also a little bit new <laughs> mm. <Yeah. laughs> right?" because he says Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And so what John understands is that love has power. Love is verbs. Love gets things done. Love accomplishes things. Whereas with the law, it was enough to not murder to not steal, Mm -hmm. uh, to not be jealous, right? But John is like, no, love actually requires that you aggressively move in the opposite direction, that you are generous, that you are kind, that you are life affirming. That's what love is. That's what Jesus did. So I'm telling you to love one another. That's not new. What is new is love is sacrificial. Uh, Love has action words associated with it, right? Uh, And so, and it's, primal to everything. Love mm-hmm. God with action words, with everything you've got. People will know if you uh, love God by the way you treat one another. Mm-hmm. There it is.
0: I'm going to pick up on what you said there at the end about love with action. When, when we're younger, we learn English grammar. So there's <laughs> in every sentence that's a complete sentence or subject predicate mm-hmm. and sometimes direct object or indirect object. So just, let's just take one very short, simple three-word sentence. God loves you. So subject, God, love, the action, Mm -hmm. the the verb Mm -hmm. that you just mentioned, Amanda, you though is really important here. So love is something that's done to somebody. In other Mm -hmm. words, it comes out of us to others. Why is love the greatest commandment? This is something that's just been kind of overwhelming me, I think in a positive way lately is love gets me out of myself. Mm -hmm. The opposite of love is what's in this for me? Who can I be mad at? Who can offend me today? Who can who can get on my nerves? Who can push who can push me the wrong way? Who mm-hmm. who who can I you know maybe I can get some attention by saying what's wrong with everybody else and 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 pointing out human flaws which we all have right. um, you know either individually or collectively or whatever it might be. Great, that's easy. Anybody could do that. Right. But love counters all that. It is as countercultural as anything could possibly be, because now it's not just God loves you, but John pulls it all together here. He says, since God loves us, we also must love one another. And so God loves you, you're just going to stop there? No, you love others. So, yeah. so now you're the subject, inspired by God. It's just a natural continuation of what God started mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ. God loves me, so now I have a responsibility, and it would be, it'd be ridiculous <laughs> for me to stop it at me. Well, I'm just going to get God's love and be mad at everybody else. Right. Not, or I'm going to hate everybody else. I'm going to point out what's wrong with everybody else. God loves me so that, so that, John is saying, I can love others. That's Christianity in a beautiful nutshell. Mm-hmm. It's love. Love is at the core of all that. Love gets us out of ourselves, love forces us to say, Hmm. Instead of seeing what I can get from everybody, maybe I could see what I could give what, 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 How can I serve instead of what can I consume what, what what can What can God do through me? Well, he can love me so that I can love others because John knows what Jesus knew, which is why this is the greatest commandment if we activate our love that God that starts with God and ultimately goes to the world through the church, if the church is being faithful through Christians. Man, it's going to turn everything over in, in, in a beautiful way, right side up. It's going it's to change the world around us in a way that nothing else has the power to do. And in the process, the beautiful thing is it changes us too. Because mm-hmm. we're like, oh, that's what I'm here for. I'm not here just to point out what's wrong mm-hmm. or to hate mm-hmm. or, or to be a hater of, of all the things that are wrong. I'm here to actually find <clears throat> reasons to love even when people haven't earned it or deserve it and to offer grace. That is so radical and so different from the mainstream of the world, and it is so much better.
2: Well, and when you understand that we're all sinners, like what John was saying earlier, when you understand we are all in that same boat of sin, then all of a sudden you realize the love that God gives to you, you don't deserve it. And so then it becomes, I hope, think that's the intentional point, right? Then it is, should become easier, it's supposed to become easier to look at somebody else's saying, because it's always easier to see somebody else's than it is your own, but to realize, actually, this person who I'm calling a sinner, they huh. and I, we are in the same boat, right. and God pours out that love on me. So why do I think that, I, that, they sh- that they don't, or is equally deserving of this love that God has given to me? Mm. It, all, it all takes, <laughs> you know? It's the when, ground level. Absolutely, it, it, <laughs> yes. It, it, it just yes. evens
3: everything out. Well, and it's, and we're made in the image of God. And if God is indeed love, we're (laughs) failing to live into that image of God. We're not being who we
0: are. Yeah. You're, you're,
3: you're fundamental. You're not just like misbehaving. You're fundamentally (laughs)
0: misrepresenting who you're made to be. That's really good. And the world will tell us, hey, it will, will affirm the hate. And say, not only does hate feel good for a little while, although long term it's gross but they'll will come get attention for the hate and and we'll say oh this is where the power is is when i hate mm-hmm. when when i when i when i say oh this is all. and don't get me wrong there's a time to say this is this is dark and evil and wrong and we can hate that evil there's nothing wrong with right. hating evil i'm not i'm not talking about some Pollyanna, pie in the sky—you know, just pretend everything's good even when it isn't. Not saying that, but I'm talking about run-of-the-mill stuff. Boy, we're really good in the world these days of saying, "I hate," and if I hate, I'm going to get attention, and I'm going to get power. And you want real power? <laughs> try love. Yeah, uh, try, sure. try God's love. There is nothing as strong. There is no force that can any come anywhere close. To the power that we have in God's love for us, it has the power to overcome death. Let's just start there. Yep, right.
1: Mm-hmm. Help Bible readers better understand the point of the three witnesses that John lifts up: the Spirit, mm-hmm. the water, and the blood. In First John five verses six through twelve.
0: Come on, Chris, help us out. This
1: is <laughs> cool. For,
0: in, in 1
3: John chapter five, uh, author talks about water. Uh, talks about blood and talks about this you know spirit and with water it 's referencing both in Genesis one in creation there was water nice and then uh, kind of mirroring then uh, the beginning of jesus 's ministry, Jesus was baptized, and so Jesus comes out of the water so there 's that tracking throughout the narrative of god 's people and of Jesus uh, with blood we have both in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, maybe the most obvious one, but also in the sacrament of the of uh, the Eucharist of the mm-hmm. the last Supper. Jesus said, "'This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. and then all over all of that is the spirit that is indeed was present uh, with the disciples and also was present at Jesus's uh, baptism. And going back mm-hmm. to Genesis, the spirit was hovering over the water. So mm-hmm. what, what they're doing with these witnesses is kind of tracking, hey, this isn't just a story that we're telling about some guy named Jesus. This is the whole story of God. And Jesus is right at the center of all of it.
1: That's good.
0: It is good. And if you read on just a little bit, Uh, because I have nothing to add to what you so wonderfully articulated there, Chris, on what the meaning of water, blood and spirit is. It's what it leads to that. I just want to add on as Mm -hmm. a a PS. What it leads to is the spirit's testimony about the power of this water and this blood. And we know it's not the water and the blood. It's the, it's the promise in that. And God use God works through the water, through the bread and the wine, through, through these elements. But his spirit testifies that as God moves through these elements, everything changes. To push a courtroom metaphor a little more, because it's talking about testimonies and witnesses. Mm -hmm. So, the testimony of those who are on the witness stand here is the Spirit's testimony now. You say, well, you believe human testimony. Good, you should, if they're telling the truth. But here's now the Spirit's testimony. You can believe that all the more. And here comes the verdict Mm -hmm. that the Spirit is testifying to. You who are sinners and deserve death are now free, and you will get everlasting life. So, that that water, that blood, and the testimony of the Spirit leads to sal- the, the promise of salvation being experienced and realized and applied to our daily lives. It's a beautiful, and again, I will say a powerful thing, to mm-hmm. go from, I deserve to die <laughs> <laughs> and my sins not to be forgiven, to I'm set free from sin and I now have eternal life. And everybody does who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. That's a big game changer.
1: Yeah, Last question is, according to the conclusion of John's poetic sermon, what does he want us to know and why does it matter?
0: Uh, Just briefly, I'll hit it and I want to hear from you guys. Uh, He's saying, let me sum some things up. Uh, This stuff matters. I've written these things to you, verse 13, those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing to shoot for (laughs) because if we know we have eternal life, it's going to change the way we live now too. And so I want you to know that you have this gift. It's interesting, John's gospel. Mm -hmm. So here's another little ad for probably, Mm -hmm. could be, maybe, just possibly the same John. John's gospel ends with saying, I want you to know. (laughs) I I don't want you to guess maybe you have eternal life. I want you to know that you have it, not because of your performance, but because you put your trust in the one who gives you this life, who's overcome death and sin for you. So he talks about, in the, in the subsequent verses, as he wraps up this, this poetic sermon, prayer, the power of prayer, sin, what it means, again, as we talked about earlier. Um, he talks about idolatry, and then bottom line, don't let anything take God's place in your hearts. I think that's... It's not a bad way to end any, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, letter
2: that's being written. Absolutely. His care for the people that he's writing to just pours out of everything that he says. It's just so evident. He wants them to know that they are saved and that there are benefits to their salvation. There are benefits to their salvation here, this side of heaven. There are benefits to their salvation in eternity, obviously. And he wants them to hold on to that with everything they've got so that when people come at them with, oh, well, we think this, or we've heard this, have you heard this? Yeah. That they are holding on to what they know to be true with everything that they've got be- because he loves them. He cares about mm-hmm. them.
3: And mm-hmm. in 518, it even goes to say, like, <clears throat> listen, like the evil one doesn't touch them. Talk about the it's, it's not talking about, hey, uh, well, in the end, it's going to be a big battle. No, <laughs> evil doesn't even touch you because that's how foundational mm. this this gift is, this identity is that you're called to live in the love of mm. God. And so that's, I just think that that's an especially powerful image. It's not just that you're going to win. It's
0: that evil can't even touch yeah. you. Good word. It is a good word. You know, mm-hmm. as, as I was reading this alone, I got plenty of stuff out of it talking to you guys about it, I got so much more. Mm. And that's the that's the beauty of community and mm-hmm. doing life together as a church and doing yep. Bible studies together in community and diving into the word and doing podcasts. Yep. All these kinds of things are important because what, what strikes me in our conversation today that didn't come off the pages as much when I was reading it individually is mm-hmm. that word power that keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. a huge word that John's repeating, but there's power in the everlasting life he promises yeah. there's power not being touched by the devil there's mm. power in knowing that that it's it's a cop out to say well i'm a sinner so i'll just keep on doing it mm. actually you're you're totally running away from the power God has to transform your life, mm-hmm. my life, mm-hmm. to stop being whatever it is. You know, it, it, think of all the different sinful things people do, the, the lies, the gossip, the pride, the ego, the, the greed, The it, pick a deadly sin, right. you know, pick any, and you say, well, that's just me. That's just how I roll. That's just what I do. I'm <laughs> Lust is my thing. I'm, I'm just always looking at other people and, you know, in, in some sort of lustful way. I'm, enough. You have the power of God you to do. change. Mm-hmm. And not just the power of God to change, but that power has a, such deep roots. It has the power to give you eternal life, to, to keep the evil one away from you. To... So John writing to a community that's being led astray by a lot of Antichrists, a lot of false teachers is saying, let me point you back to Christ. Yeah. Let, let me point on, you back to, to the one who is the way, mm-hmm. the truth, and the life as if it's the same John he wrote about and quoted Jesus in John 14, 6. And yeah. so bottom line again, final words from John and First John, don't let anyone or anything take God's place in your hearts. Mm-hmm. We'll say more about that this weekend at Hope Campuses near you. You'll hear sermons about First uh, John and maybe a little Ezekiel too. We love you. God loves you more.
2: Yeah, that's got to
1: be thanks for joining us today please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time